Friends, we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to The Cutting Room Floor. Our hope is that through this ministry, you can find the transforming power of Jesus in the new year. We also want you to share that transforming power with others. Would you click the subscribe button so you get episodes when they drop? Then, would you also pray about who God might be calling you to share this with this year? We're so glad we're a part of your faith journey, and now to today's episode. Welcome to the CCUPC Cutting Room Floor, where we try to connect Sunday to the weekday. I'm Pastor James. And I'm Pastor Dina. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at uh, Mark chapter 5. We're going to be talking about a uh, demon-possessed man. Good times here. on you know, super light content yeah, for us. The Garrison Demoniac. Yeah. I just want to say that. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a title. Um, but we're going to be talking about the the, the uh, demon-possessed man from the region of the Gerasenes. Um, this is a story about a healing, but it's so much more than that. I, I think uh, it's it's a story that can look at Jesus' authority, but but through the, the characters, I tried to explore kind of what it reveals to us about our discipleship, what it reveals to us about what we think about Jesus. Um, so, Pastor Dino, what... Um, what did you get out of that? What were your takeaways? What were kind of your big thoughts and, and reactions? Um, you know, there's so much in this passage. And I think, you know, if we just if we just read it and walked away, we think it's about Jesus's power over the demons. And it and it certainly is, but there's so much nuance here and so much deeper meaning. And you you know, you said it in the, the sermon several times, but Jesus upends the life of every person he meets in this passage from yes. the demon possessed man to the demons to the town townspeople and um you know as we you know in our church we've been we've been thinking about values we've been thinking about priorities and audience and um and our own preferences in the midst of all that and and I think that that question, are we willing to let Jesus upend our lives, is a big one. And of course, the Sunday school answer is, of course, I am. But I surrender all. Yeah, yes. Um, Horrible rendition. <laughs> but beyond the surface, are we really? Am I really? And and sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> you know, that, you know, you had kind of posed it. I... As we were preparing, I told you I kind of got stuck on that idea that the the townspeople cared more about the money that they lost in the pigs than the life of this man. Like they wanted their money, they wanted they they didn't want Jesus to be messing with their livelihood anymore. And and we kept saying, but what is what is one life worth? And and that's such a big question as we make decisions, as we um, as we live our lives, as we cling to our preferences but what are the lives of the people around us worth and and to what degree do I let that carry the day and and that is the perennial question like you know what carries the day the needs of the one or the needs of the many and you can argue it from both sides in this parable argue it argues it from both sides um so it's a hard, not neatly tied up in a bow question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, as I approached this text, um, as I was looking at it, so I pictured the scene where Jesus is sitting there with the the formerly demon-possessed man, um, although it says he's a demon-possessed man um, because Jesus is, uh, to the townspeople, he has, um, he still is. But he's sitting there with this guy 
And I picture them sitting side by side, conversing. The townspeople come in. They're shocked. The the herders start explaining to them, look, this guy has been healed and, and so on and so forth. They're explaining the main action that they saw, which would have been the exorcism. Um, and and they mention about the pigs as well. And the, the townspeople go from seeing the man to seeing what isn't there, which is their, their, their herd of pigs, their herd of pigs, their, their livelihood, um, the economic core of their, of their community and going, Oh my gosh. Like they, they go in my mind in the scene, they go from being afraid to being shocked and saying, get out of here. Jesus. Oh, that, that's a, yeah. Oh no, no, we can't have this. What are we going to do? Yeah. Cause likely they were afraid before. I mean, this guy, um, the demon possessed man, it sounds like they, he tormented them. Um, yes. It says that he lived in the tombs. No one could bind him, even with a chain. When he was bound with chains, he was able to break them apart. And, you know, he, it, it sounds like he howled all night long and, and cut himself. And so it was probably a mess. And yet when they saw him in his right mind, and not not needing to be restrained they were like oh no no who has the power to do this and you you kept connecting uh that at least in our preparation to the verses right before this passage where yes. the disciples yeah. um it's the disciples i think right yeah who it says, is who is it that who is this jesus that even the wind and the waves obey him so yeah. take out wind and waves and and the kind of the question we have on the table is who is this jesus that even this legion of demons that responded to nothing else obey him in a minute you know you know without question um and that goes to your point that they recognized jesus the the demons were among the first in the well no, they are the the first the man the man came out and knew jesus had the power to to um so that that was actually in my scholar in the in the scholarship that I was reading. Mm-hmm. There's question about that. Oh, really? Like, is this the demons? Because the demons seem to be coming out. I, I tend to agree with the 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 scholarship that says the demons seem to be coming out to challenge Jesus because he is there too early. Mm. Like they know what the end game is for Jesus, and they're saying this isn't the right time for that. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of the demons leading the like. They are very much uh, hijacking the man's body to come and say, hey, what are, what are you okay. doing? You're here too early. Yeah. Um, because it's very much in in the Greek. I'll say that word not in a sermon. Um, <laughs> but in the Greek, it, it is a, a, a mild challenge to him mm-hmm. that the way that they phrase this, even though they don't put it in those exact terms, that he is, he's not here. He's here too early to do what he is he said he was going to do. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like, uh, if, <laughs> have you ever gone to a restaurant too early? Like they don't have your food ready yet. Yeah. And it's like, we told you 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like that. It's only been 17 and a half. Sit down and wait. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's exactly the sense yeah. in which they're challenging him. Yeah. Um, and they're saying, you said whatever the, the number is or, you know what yeah. I mean? And, uh, and so there's this kind of negotiation going on. So I actually hold to this idea that it was the demons hijacking, okay. hijacking the so man. So the demons within the man that 
propelled him out kind of yep. okay that just makes like, sense just like it was the demons within the man who was breaking the chains i'm yeah. sure of it like yeah yeah that that makes sense um and yeah they recognized him and they they knew they recognized his power immediately yeah. and and i think you know do you find it funny that they ask him not to torture them yes yeah <laughs> like you've been torturing this poor man for for however many yes. years like Yes. Like if we're going to talk about not torturing, then. Um, Define irony. But but even that, you know, they plead for mercy and say, you know, send us into the pigs. They're the ones that ask to be sent into the pigs. And and it, it my guess is it's an act of mercy that Jesus says, sure. Um, yeah. Inst- I mean, because if, if we believe Jesus is who he says he is and has the authority that he can cast the demons out. I mean, he could have obliterated them right on the spot too. Yeah. The, the, the general, general scholarly consensus was that they, he would cast them into the, to, into the pit Mm -hmm. that revelation talks about the, the abyss, the, the burning sulfur. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to be there. Yeah. (laughs) We have that too. It's called Lake Erie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah. No, Lake Erie has sewage, not sulfur. So, well, either way it catches on fire. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Anyway, back to the scriptures. Back to the scriptures. So, um, one of the things that I'd I'd like to to bring out about the townspeople is, um, like as you were talking there, one of the things that I uh, in this scene is that that it's not entirely. Let me put it this way: we're actually familiar with this because they have this guy who is just absolutely off the rails, but all the to- townspeople are like, "Oh yeah, that's just Joe. He that's just how he behaves." They have adapted to his demon possession. Yeah. Um, like he breaks the chains. Fine. We're not going to chain you anymore. He howls all night, whatever. I'm going to put a, 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 a towel or something up over my window. Um, and every community has this where, where someone is off the rails and we just go, Oh, that's just so, and so that's just how they behave. Yeah. And so they have adapted to the evil that's around them. And, and, and seeing that evil, they're, they're much more comfortable with having the devil they know, quite yeah. literally, than the devil they, they wouldn't have if he were healed. Because they're looking at it and they're saying, well, no, if the, if the price of, of Joe being healed here and us getting a decent night's sleep is my job, mm-hmm. then I'll put earplugs in. Yeah. Yeah. So they'd rather adapt to the evil than cure it. Yeah, and we, I mean, goodness, we do that all the time. I mean, and I know violence and guns are a big, um, big hot button issue. I'm not debating that. But look at the way ways we've adapted to the problem of guns. We'll just put up, up metal detectors. We'll just do, you know, we'll just have yeah. people scan. We'll, we'll have people go through security at airports. We adapt instead of looking at the root of the problem. Well, even in our family systems, like yeah. if someone's a jerk in our family, yeah. we're just like, well, that's just uncle Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, yeah. we just gotta, we've just got to deal with it. Um, yeah. and we adapt to the evil rather than wanting a, an actual resolution of that evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and not saying that uncle Bill is, is evil. Um, right. uh, but you know what I mean here? Like we just, we don't want to upset things. And that comes through in these in these townspeople in a very real way. Yeah. And it's easy to villainize them and be like, oh, 
townspeople. You didn't see what was right in front of you. They're but, us. But yeah, they are. And and it wasn't just a frivolous little like, oh man, that was my favorite pig. Like this was their li- livelihood. This oh, was yeah. their lifestyle. This was everything, their status. And so, and so it really, I'm sure, felt like and impossible if 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 you had presented them with a choice i don't even know that they saw it as a choice but had you presented them with a choice it would have felt like an impossible one yes so one of the things that i didn't say in the sermon because i don't want to get into too much into the weeds on some of the the details Mm -hmm. and that's why i like this format is we can get into some of the weeds uh because some people like those things and it then it's meaning more meaningful um, and so one of the things that's behind this is it's entirely possible that this town supplied food to the, ro- to the local Roman garrison. Mm-hmm. And that's why they had pigs. Because the Romans, you know, uh, we can, we can um, look at the Jewish history and be like, oh, these are pigs, these are unclean animals, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But they're in Gentile territory. Yeah. So, so those rules kind of don't apply, um, except for the fact that Jesus is is there and he's bringing some other Jews there. But mm-hmm. that even that's kind of secondary to the point of the story. Yeah. The point of the story and and, and the point of the pigs is they they were the economic core. I know I've said that a number of times, but but like I said, if they're feeding the local Roman garrison and their entire stock goes down the hill and drowns itself mm-hmm. and the Roman garrison is coming, you know, whatever they come every Thursday to come pick up their pigs to, yeah. to slaughter and and to feed the 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 legion um then this town has a problem they have a very serious problem yeah not just with a local customer but with a customer that also happens to be connected to rome yeah um and so what you're saying is very right there's there's a there are massive implications for these pigs dying Mm -hmm. um and not the least of which is like the smell that's going to come up in the town and the water i mean it, it probably polluted the water really oh gosh yeah Um, And I think that, you know, that's the question before us that as we talk about, oh, sure, Jesus can change my life. But when, when our livelihoods, when our relationships, when, when all of that is on the line, are we still willing to answer the same way? Or is Jesus something nice we keep in our pockets um, to make us feel good and to make others feel good? That's a good question. Because last week we talked about the fact that, that, um, you know, that, that being transformed necessitates change, change necessitates loss. Mm-hmm. And this is a great example of that principle because yeah. Jesus changes the, lo- the man's life. And what it ends up doing is creating a massive amount of loss for that entire community. Mm-hmm. Even though there's, there's this incalculable gain for the one man. Yeah. Um, and so, the question becomes, am I willing to, what you, exactly what you said, am I willing to pay the price? Mm -hmm. Like if Jesus wants to upend my life, am I willing to pay that? Yeah. And, and when we're honest with ourselves, that it's, it's not an easy yes, I guess is the best way to say it, that, that it takes courage. It takes strength. It takes kind of being resigned to some hard things coming in one way or another. And, and, you know, it's different for, for each of us, but there are very real implications to claiming Jesus as, as your savior, especially as we move through a post-Christian world and it's not the center of the community anymore. And it's not socially advantageous. No. 
Um, yeah, so this is this is hard stuff, and 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 we have to reckon with our with our selfish selves and the the side of us that that doesn't want to co- cause conflict or make waves. Mm-hmm. We have to, you know, the as we talked we talked at our recent meeting of our governing body, our preferences and the th- the way we like things, and are we willing to give all those up so that God's purpose can be fulfilled and yeah. and that's not an easy Sunday school yes I mean on the surface it is but if we're really honest those are hard things you know when when we talk about the fact that Jesus changes everything it, I think you know we I think I have an idea of of what that means but I think when it's received a lot of times people receive that in a more abstract sense mm-hmm. like oh yes Jesus changes everything um, but in a very real sense, like what you're saying is, uh, no, Jesus changes everything. He's going to screw with your checkbook. He's going to screw with your schedule. Yeah. Like he is going to get into everything and he is going to mess it all up. Yeah. And, and, but here's the thing. He doesn't mess it up for no purpose whatsoever. And that's what we have to keep in mind. Otherwise he, otherwise the demons are right. He is coming and he's messing with things and he's an oppressor and he's unjust because he's coming too early. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I actually see, like, I actually see in the culture how people are like the demons and how we can be like them and say, yeah, he is pretty oppressive because mm-hmm. he does mess with my, like no one else asks for my checkbook. Yeah. If you have a checkbook, debit card, mm-hmm. Venmo account, Apple he, cash, whatever. Yeah. He's going to mess with your, with your Venmo account. Yeah. Um, and he's going to to mess with your purchasing preferences and he's going to mm-hmm. mess with um you know um just, the way you think about other people the way you yeah. interact with other people your assumptions your leisure time yeah like your leisure time is not your own right that's not a message that preaches no no i have very little leisure time i would like to think i can do whatever i want with it but right nope yeah um, and, and I think you've mentioned that, that attitudes towards other people, yeah. like he's going to mess with our minds as yeah. well and mess with our hearts. Yeah. And, and when you start actually being more concrete about it, it sounds nice in the abstract, mm-hmm. but in the concrete, it sounds like, wow, this guy is a totalitarian, a totalitarian. Yeah. He, he's going to take everything. Yes. Yes. But but the realization in that is that it was never ours to begin with. Yeah. Like if our starting point is that, that it's mine, Mm -hmm. he's going to look pretty oppressive. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think that way about stewardship quite often that, you know, stewardship and giving to the church feels so hard because deep down we assume that those, those gifts, that money, the time, the talents, whatever is ours to begin with. And, you know, if we, if we decide to use it for the church, you know, pat on the back for us. But if we if we change our minds and, and realize it wasn't ours to begin with, then we can't help but that that give generously and and think more generously and and all the things that follow. But it's a hard it's a hard mind shift and, and again that it's it's one of those things that Jesus wants to upend. Like 
even our thought process gets upended. And and maybe no one notices, maybe on the outside, everything appears the same, but but just letting Jesus mess with your mind and, and change the way you think about giving, about people, about uh, the motives of other people, the the starting places of other people is is hard because you know it's it's not our natural inclination to be compassionate and be patient and be gracious we we would much rather be um you know feel like we're superior or that we know better or that we deserve more than than our neighbor so this we've been talking about it at an individual discipleship level and that's that is hard enough mm-hmm. um now you had some thoughts about the church oh yeah this is gonna get me in trouble <laughs> um I, I i i'm backing you on it though okay so um in the sermon you had made the comment that knowledge of jesus isn't enough like we can because the the demons and the townspeople really knew who Jesus was and they knew his mission and they rejected him anyway. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is completely possible for us to recognize who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. It's possible for us to be able to recite the gospel and know Jesus's mission, but still actually be rejecting him in our lives, in our words, in the way we live our lives. And I think the church has kind of deceived us a bit, a lot, um, because as we look over the last however many years, our emphasis has been on knowledge. I, I mean, I think you could argue we haven't done a great job of that. But if you look through every Sunday school curriculum ever, the goal is who is Moses? Who is Noah? Who is David? Who is Jesus? Who is this person? Memorize this verse. Know the Ten Commandments be able to list the disciples. You can do all that without actually loving Jesus and letting him upend your life. And so, you know, as the church moves forward through this age where it's not, it's not just assume people are going to come to church. And so all we have to do is educate them. um, We really have to focus on what does it mean to know Jesus and to accept his mission. And and if you, you know, if you happen to learn the names of the 12 disciples in the process, great, but that's not what our our faith rests on. And of course you have to know God's word in order to get to know Jesus. And and as we said all throughout the Advent season of prophets that, you know, knowing all that gives a richer picture of who Jesus was and what he was doing. But that alone, that knowledge alone is not not the key to our salvation. So the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I, I feel like it it connects with the the last part that we talked about. Mm-hmm. The fact that at an individual level, it's really, really hard to say, oh, I'm going to let P- Jesus affect all of these, these areas. And I feel like what it, the reason the church has not put out that message is because collectively we've decided that's a really bad marketing strategy. Yeah. Like that's how the modern way I'd put it is like, hmm, I think that's going to go over really, really poorly. So why don't we just lower the bar until people come in Yeah, and then we'll try to sort things out later. But I don't think anyone's going to come unless 
un- unless we were like, oh no, Jesus is happy and friendly and he's going to let you keep your schedule and checkbook except that's except not he's actually not. Yeah. Yeah. Except that's not really what he says, but we really want you here. We're losing members and yeah. And, and we want to keep things going the way they are. So exactly. Come. And so we've compromised the gospel message. We've compromised the, the, the call to lay down our lives because we see people looking at that and saying, no, thank you. Yeah. But we never, we never see the fact that like in this, in this story, it's not a parable in this story, Mm -hmm. only one person accepts Jesus in this. This was an entire mission. Jesus takes his entire group of 12 disciples. He crosses the Sea of Galilee. He comes to this town. He rescues one man, upsets an entire town, and calls it a day. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not, like, yeah. this isn't Harvard Business Review yeah, stuff here. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not great marketing. I no, mean, it's a, this is not a sustainable yeah. <laughs> sustainable business organization, like a, model, a structure, yeah. model. There we go. Um, but that's the thing. Like, he doesn't go by the worldly values. Yeah. And what this passage does is it brings the values of this world into sharp relief with the values of the gospel. Um. In terms of the question, what is the value of a life? Yeah. And that's a hard, that's a hard thing. I mean, you know, and we, and we love to, to recite verses like greater love has no one than this, that he laid out his life for his friend. And, and, you know, we, we talk about that in, in surface ways, but, but here really we, we see the value of the one versus the many and, and which, in a in a world where both of them cannot win which one which one does yeah and I, it reminds me of of the sunday or not the sunday school lesson but the the um the faith lesson that that we got to share with the and you primarily taught on that one with the the preschool kids this past uh, fall sheep. yeah yeah where if if you were the little lost sheep jesus would still come for you like this this is the proof that he did yeah like if you were the one here jesus comes for the one yeah and, and it ends up having repercussions for for everyone yeah um but he he does it and he's unapologetic about it you know there's no oh you know i'm really sorry for for upending yeah sorry about the pigs you know, yeah sorry about the stench yeah sorry about your contract with the roman soldiers yeah like, contact my accountant no <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and and then i wonder is there anything to the fact that he tells the the man who was healed to stay there and to Ah. share the the good news with them like i want what must that have been like yeah so that's um one of the directions i could have gone with this sermon is to talk about discipleship um and that's never far from my thought process mm-hmm. like i i think a, a lot about discipleship i think probably too much about discipleship. no i don't no, know i don't think you can think okay. too much about it so all right you're good as long as you do some discipleship yeah uh, the, the, um but like when we see discipleship, we think about, I think the the common thought is, okay, give up everything and follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
And we look at the 12 and we say, well, look, they gave up, they gave up their boats, they gave up their families, mm-hmm. they gave up their livelihoods, they gave up their tax collecting, they gave whatever it was. Um, and, and they gave all that up and they followed Jesus mm-hmm. for those years. But that's not the only model of discipleship that we have in the scriptures. And this story is an example of that. So instead of discipleship that says, okay, you need to sell everything that you have, you need to give up everything. Mm-hmm. This man was actually, and, and go somewhere else. Yeah. That's usually the key is you need to go somewhere else. Yeah. This man's calling was actually to his own people. And so rather than like, um, hey, Dina, your call is now to go uh, minister in Mozambique. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you need to uproot everyone and go. Yeah. Like this man's calling was, he desperately wanted to follow Jesus. But his calling was, no, you need to go minister in your hometown to your own people and, and to to share the story with the, the area that you know best. Um, and that has a lot of implication for, you know, minister to your family, yeah. minister to your neighbors, share the story of what Jesus is doing in your life. What I said from, from last week, what's the sermon that only you can share? Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have to go out and find a, a, a different country or a different area. Yeah. Or so. Share that with the people that are close to you. If if we really want to be in relationship with people, then it's helpful, helpful for them to know us really in full. And if Jesus is such an integral part of our lives, then that should come out naturally. And again, that comes with Christian maturity. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, there's something, I mean, this man, if the townspeople were afraid of Jesus and what he had done, and Jesus destroyed their livelihood, I mean, this guy was already at a disadvantage when it came to sharing the good news. I mean, I think of, you know, like middle schoolers when someone comes in and and brags and says, you know, I got the top spot in, in basketball and... You know, his group of friends was like, yeah, but, you know, look at all these people that didn't make it because of because you got it or whatever um, the equivalent might be. So, you know, this man's testimony comes at the price of the people he's sharing with, mm-hmm. too, which is is hard. It, you know, I think and I think it's just a reminder. It's not always easy to share Jesus. It's not just about it's not just about getting someone to sign on the dotted line like, sure, mm-hmm. Jesus can be my yeah. savior that that it it is bearing with one another in in pain and loss and and building relationships that that are going to take work and are difficult and um and need need a lot of work and and care to to really be able to disciple one another. The good part for the for this man is that he was the living testimony. And mm-hmm. so the the people would have recognized like in as much as they would have said, oh my gosh, we're, we've lost this, they would have looked at the man and said, but how did this happen again? Yeah. Like they would have had to square those two two things. And at some point, the the economic recovery would happen, um, whereas, whereas, and that, that loss would diminish, whereas the reality of the man's change is, is still, still there, still right there in front yeah. of them. Yeah. And, and there would have, at, at some point they would have started getting to the questions of like, wait a minute, go back, 
Tell me this again. Tell me this again, because this makes yeah. no sense. Yeah, and maybe you know, maybe in there, there's a a word for us about patience and time and sharing the gospel and and oh, absolutely, and letting our lives speak continuously over time. That it's not, it's not a quick conversion. I mean, my guess is this guy couldn't go in to the town the next day and be like, hey. Everyone followed Jesus because they were probably still real mad about the pigs. But as you said, you know, eventually those feelings fade. But but the the difference Jesus has made in our life. And and I think, you know, when I think about people who are are going through grief and and really difficult times, eventually those acute feelings fade. We don't always live in that really hurt broken raw place like you know eventually we yeah, we move beyond that thing. um but the 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 work of the holy spirit in the midst of that doesn't ever go away we can continue continue to to point to that and to call on that there's a lot to be said for consistency there's a lot to be said for yeah for having a long view on discipleship i think we want a quick fix especially as the church feels decline yeah. The yeah. church is looking for a quick fix, but discipleship is never quick. I mean, even in the even in the early church, um, you had to be catechized for three years before they would allow you into communion. Wow. I I mean, that was just standard for them. Yeah. Um and and like if you run a, a one if you run a, a um a confirmation or a membership program for too long, people are like, uh, oh, yeah. I'm just gonna go down the street to the Yeah. Um to the other church because they can get me in quicker. Um, and so we've lost that long view. And and that man had that ability to live with his community for a long time mm-hmm. um, and to, to bear witness over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, to, I wish we would have gotten to see the the results that, you know, I wish Jesus would have, you know, given us a where are they now, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, pull up the analytics. Yeah. Yeah. Just as we, partly as an encouragement for our own lives, because as you said, discipleship takes a long time and, and we don't always get to see the results. We, you know, we're, discipleship takes a long time. We're not always privileged to be the consistent force throughout. Like we might just get a a snapshot. Um, I think especially in student ministry and, um, and that sort of thing. Like we may only get it a year or two with a person before they're on to something else. They're still being discipled, just not by us. And we don't always see the impact of, of what we've done. Um, and a lot of churches struggle with that. Like, why would I disciple someone if they're not going to come be a member of our church? Mm-hmm. And, and that's not the call of Jesus. He, he doesn't say, you know, disciple people only if they join your group, disciple people only if they stick around. Um, but his command to us is in, in Matthew is to make disciples of all nations. You know, mm-hmm. um, he doesn't qualify that except to say, uh, uh, you know, teaching them everything uh, to obey everything I've commanded you. Yeah. Um, so um, I was going to say the to, to go back to this for just a second in terms of the, the witness of our lives is then our lives, and we've talked about this a little bit, actually have to demonstrate a commitment to Jesus mm-hmm. that is in some way discernible. Yeah. 
Um, and that's not, as you have uh, said before, like that's not wearing a Christian t-shirt. Mm-hmm. That is a, a life of, you know, identity, values, attitudes, behaviors that are in alignment with who Jesus is mm-hmm. um, over time, you know, consistent messaging over time. Yeah. Um, Cause people are looking and especially looking for Christians to, to mess up. Oh yeah. To say, see, it's, it's not true. Yeah. And Christians don't disappoint in that area. I mean, no, you, no. Can all, I mean, we can all find examples of, of people who have fallen short and then, and places in our own individual walks where we've fallen short. Yeah. And so that's not a call to be perfect. Right. Hear me, hear me on that. But what it does mean is if there is, you know, if you tell me that you have a, an apple tree in your, in your yard and consistently year after year, there are no apples coming off that tree. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, listen, you keep telling me it's an apple tree. Yeah. I don't really believe you. Yeah. Like, are you sure you don't have this wrong? Yeah. And I think that's the the sort of thing. Now, I've been around apple trees enough, you know, like you get some years where you're like, oh, the apples are coming out and they look like junk this mm-hmm. year. Eh. Yeah. Or this year we've gotten four apples. Yeah. Last year we got 400 apples. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. But over, you know, regardless of whether it's a good crop or a bad crop or what, there's evidence. Yeah. Um, evidence that, that what it says it is, is actually what it is. And, and I think that's a better, you know, Jesus used a whole bunch of agricultural things like that. Yeah. Um, he used a fig tree. Um, and to take it back to last week, you know, that's a part of the, that's a part of the sermon, the story, the, the, the message that only you can tell that only you can give it. It's unique to us. And it, and in sharing the difference that Jesus makes in our lives, it is, it is also owning the places where we have messed up and have seen grace more clearly. And it's the places where there's been transformation and it's, it's the places that are still being transformed. Um, and I think, and I know we've, we've talked about this as we live into our new mission statement, that the first step in all of this is, is starting to recognize it for ourselves is, is being vigilant to the places where our lives are revealing Jesus or the places where our lives are not revealing Jesus. Yeah. And we need to submit them again and, and make that a matter of prayer and intentional, mindful effort. Um, whether it's internal thoughts or external um, stuff like, you know, for instance, the way we react to other people and the way we, um, the way we make assumptions about people, you know, may, t- may take a season of intentionally, correcting yourself and when you immediately jump to one conclusion say wait no i have to stop thinking like that and and praying about that and and then letting those things yep overflow into the external parts of your life so that others might notice i um so in my leadership development i've done a fair amount of executive coaching at this point Mm -hmm. uh receiving executive coaching I, i don't do it um um but one of the things that that one of my coaches chris joiner has told me before is I said, you know, I realized after the meeting what I should have said or what I, what question I should have asked. Mm-hmm. And I'm kicking myself that I didn't, that I didn't think of it in the meeting. He said, my job isn't to, to have you there in an instant. My job is to get you to 
have that thought sooner and sooner. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the, we don't expect you to have the thought right away, but the, the life of faith and the life of sanctification is having that Christ-like thought sooner and sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's a thing that, that like, uh, every, like getting a bad crop of fruit, you're like, well, it's junky, but it's still apples. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I can do something with it, even if it's applesauce, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, but you know what? We got there, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we're going to work on getting there just a little bit sooner next time. Yeah. And, um, and that requires, uh, and, and we could talk about this, uh, we're not going to, but we could talk about this for a while. The fact that, that as Christians, we should be okay with accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, accountability that is both full of grace and truth. Yeah. As Jesus came. Yeah. Uh, not a harsh accountability that, that beats us into submission, nor a, a, um, an accountability that just says, oh, that's okay mm-hmm. to, to whatever, but an accountability that, that holds the standard. That transforms lives that, yes. you know, that, that helps you to grow. I mean that, and that, I know we've talked before about it, like when you, we think about it in terms of skills and sports, you know, you don't, you don't watch someone swim the 400 and disqualify on their back, you know, or on their breaststroke and then say, well, that's okay. It's fine. You tried. You, you, you coach them and you, you say like, no, this wasn't what you were supposed to do. Do it again right. Now do it again right. Now do it again right. And it's an effort and it's a it's work. And and that same the same is true of our Christian faith. And again, I think, you know, to go back to the phrase of the day, I think the church has kind of deceived us saying, Well, you know, it, it just just come to church, just know the facts. You don't really have to work that hard at it. And and nothing could be further from the truth. And um it's what Bonhoeffer said when yeah. when Christ calls a man, he he bids him come and die. Yeah. Um, and and Bonhoeffer ultimately did, did it. Yeah, did it. Um, ultimately gave his life in service to Christ. Um, but uh, yeah. So again, another super uplifting podcast, but good but stuff. Hopeful because yeah, because the the in our in. Our, our crucifixion of ourselves in, in the in the giving of ourselves we give it not as people without hope we don't give it as as ascetics mm. we give it as as people who have a hope in a world that that has yet to come to fruition a, a yeah. world that is full of redemption and goodness uh where there's no more mourning or crying crying or pain yeah and and that we always want to keep in the mind and, and the end result of the of the um of the transformation is that person in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, to imagine what, to, to imagine seeing ourselves as Christ intended us to be. Yeah. Now that's a powerful image. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's going to be pretty great. Yes. And that's the hope in all of this. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I, in saying that, you know, joking that it's not uplifting, just the it, journey's it, hard. It is a hard journey, but, but you're right. The, the reward, the the promise, is hopefully what what sustains us throughout, and 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 the 
not only the hard work for my sake, but the fact that that perhaps God might use my life, that others might come into this hope is is always an encouragement to me too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The journey is hard. Come, come be a part of it with us. Yeah. Yep. Because in the end, it's worth it. So, all right. Another good conversation. We're going to be more of Mark next week. Uh, actually, Mark 5 again next week. Uh, we're going to finish out that chapter um, and then continue along uh, towards uh, towards Lent is, is coming sooner than we might imagine. Uh, yeah, I know. What, I mean, we're, we're under a month away. We are. Well, we are. Holy cow. Easter's super early this year. If you didn't know, it's March 31st. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, Resurrection is going to be very cold. Yeah. So. Kind of glad we don't have an outdoor sunrise service <laughs> this year. All right. Well, I, you know, this has been a good conversation. I hope that it helps you in your path of discipleship um, to know more about what the hope is that Jesus has for you. That's our hope. Um, it's why we do it. Although we do have a lot of fun talking about these things yeah. and, and uh, joking about them, regardless of how much of a downer we can be at times. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. But until next time, I'm Pastor James. And I'm Pastor Dina. And we hope this helps you connect Sunday to the weekday.